Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. This will be our third week um, considering uh, these verses. Um, Please give your attention to God's holy word. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father, help us come into the light of your word, which ultimately is the light of Jesus Christ. I pray that your word would shine into our hearts, that... Um, what is there may be exposed before you as we know that it indeed will be. And God, we ask that you help us in response to cling to the Lord Jesus, to love Him because of His great love for us, and to follow Him wherever He leads. We ask in His name. Amen. We've been going slowly and deliberately through John chapter 3, especially verses 16 through 21. We've been reviewing over these last uh, two and now uh, this third week, been reviewing the different facets of God's love. Like a jeweler turning and examining the different facets of a precious diamond. In John 3.16, we examine the greatness of God's love by understanding that God's love is not measured by the number of people He loves, but rather by the fact that He, though being a holy God, loves people who hate Him. Then last week, in John chapter 3, verses 18-21, through 21, we saw that mankind, because of our hatred for God, refuses to love God. Why do we refuse to love God? The Bible says uh, here in verses 18 through 21, because we love the darkness more. And yet, God pursues us anyway. This week we're going to consider verse 17. And Lord willing, we will see the intensity of God's love. Verse 17 teaches us that God will let nothing 
not our own hatred for God, not our refusal to come to Him or to love Him, not even God's holiness and justice stand in His way of loving us and saving us through Jesus Christ. Let's pause and think about that for just a moment. God will will not allow our hatred for God, our unwillingness to come to Him, or even our unbelief stand in the way of loving us and saving us through His Son, Jesus Christ. He has made provision to overcome our hatred, to overcome our willingness and our unbelief. What is His provision? Well, we saw this in the first part of John chapter 3. Um, he, calls, he causes His Spirit to blow into our souls. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 8. He causes His Spirit to blow into our lives and regenerate us, to make us to be born again, to give us faith in order that we might trust in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, our sins stand against us. And our sins separate us from a holy God. But again, God has made provision for us. Um, God made provision by taking our sins and placing them upon Jesus Christ so that He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. So that in Him we might become the children of God. He took the punishment of our sin to clear the way for us to be able to enter into a holy God's presence. And then, even as Christians, we lack the power to follow God. We lack the love for God necessary to stay faithful to Him. But God sent His Spirit and He sealed our souls with an indelible seal guaranteeing our salvation. Guaranteeing that we will belong to God. Guaranteeing our resurrection in Christ. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just seal us and leave. The Holy Spirit stays in our life, renewing us moment by moment, renewing our love for God, renewing our wills, renewing our minds, so that our chief desire is to honor and please God and to obey Him. And then, of course, Christ will raise our bodies from the grave and unite our bodies with our souls And we will be, according to the Lord's own promise, we will be where our Savior is. In other words, there was a lot that would stand between us and God. And God took all those obstacles and removed them. In other words, God's love for us is intense. He will not allow anything or anyone, including ourselves and our own sin, keep us from His love. 
The Apostle Paul says, and you know this passage, Romans chapter 8. He says, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. B.B. Warfield says God's love is great and powerful and all-conquering. It attains its end and will not stand helpless before any obstacle. And the end of God's love is His glory and our good and our salvation. Now there are a lot of cheap imitations for what God's um, for, for God's love. And these cheap imitations are often passed off as the substance of God's love. Uh, when compared to the biblical picture of God's love, uh, we'll see just how cheap these imitations really are. Many people believe uh, God's love is best described on a greeting card. Sylvester just left. I think he probably would have loved this. Um, I, I read this actually on a, on, a, on a greeting card. On your birthday, may God's love shower you with blessings and fill your world with rainbows. God's love. Come on. <laughs> Many people believe that God's love is nothing more than a mere emotion or a vaguely sentimental feeling. But God's love is not simply an emotion or sentimentality. God's love is an action. John 3.16 God so loved that He gave. Or in our text this morning, verse 17, it says that God so loved, loved that He sent... God's love moves him to action. Moves him to give. And to give sacrificially. And when we consider what, or rather more to the point, who He gave and sent, it gives the lie to the greeting card view of God. Others see God's love as begrudging and resentful. And this view says that God loves us until we get out of line. They see God saying, love me or else. And for them, God is a get you God, just waiting to get us the moment we disobey. And I think people with this view of God are not really motivated to love God but rather are so scared of going to hell that they fear Him. And so they try to love Him because they know that that's what God wants and they know if they don't love Him, God's going to send them to hell. But um, it is not love that's motivating them. It's uh, fear alone. But again... Verses 16 and 17 are very instructive for us. Verse 16 says that God is not eager that anyone should perish, but rather 
have eternal life. God is eager that people have eternal life. Verse 17 says that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And then there's this other view of God's love. And this view is more uh, that God's love is impersonal. For them, God is just a, uh, a mathematical equation, to put it crassly. If they do something good, then God is obligated to do something good for them. Uh, this view of God's love treats God as philosophical, as abstract, and certainly as impersonal. He's an equation. Okay, God, I've done this thing for You. I've done this good thing for You. I haven't done this bad thing. In fact, I avoided it. So I expect You, God, then, to do this good thing for me. And that is not uh, a personal uh, view of God, um, but rather impersonal. But the wonder of God's love, according to John three sixteen and 17, is that God loved people who did not love Him. It was not a mathematical equation. Because the, the, the mathematical equation is we have hated God, we have rejected God, we have not trusted God, and yet He has loved us. And loved us with a love so great that He sent His only begotten Son to die for us. There's nothing that anyone could do to make God love them. Nothing that could make God obligated to love us. And yet He so loved us that He gave us His one and only Son. God's love is anything but impersonal. This also means that God's love is unconditional and that He gives it unconditionally. The responsive reading from our bulletin uh, underscores just how unconditional God's love really is. If you uh, will look in your bulletin, in the middle column, the next to the last uh, reading, well, even before that, let me, let me jump up. The, the one where the leader, where it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the who? For the ungodly. And then it goes on to say, uh, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, both perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But the point is, we're not good. And so you see your response right under that? But God shows His love for us in that while we were still, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. And then the leader Look at the last little phrase there under the leader's reading. We shall be saved from what? The wrath of God. That's what we deserved. And then your response. For if while we were not just sinners, but what? Enemies. We were reconciled to God. So here we are. We are enemies. And God so loved His enemies that He sent His only Son, His only begotten Son, to die for those enemies in order that enemies might be reconciled to Him. That's why this reading started off 
verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because He came and made the peace by His blood shed on the cross. And so, God's love, you will see, is unconditional. If He looked into the future to see if you were going to be a good person or not, you would never have been saved. If He looked into the future to to look at the the quality of uh, your moral choices as the condition for whether He would save you or not, none of us would ever be saved. God simply, unconditionally, chose us and chose to place His love upon us before we ever loved Him, even while we were God's enemies. And this is the consistent message of the Scriptures. We can jump over to uh, John's shorter letters at the end of the Bible. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, there was nothing in us that could ever attract God's love to us. Yet God chose to love us and He gave His one and only Son to die for a world that hates Him. Matthew Henry says, The convicted traitor is not only pardoned, but preferred and made a favorite and treated as the one whom the King of Kings delights to honor. It's worth quoting Charles Spurgeon for the third week in a row. God seemed to love us better than His only Son because He did not spare Him in order that He might spare us. I'm going to cut off the last uh, point from my sermon. Uh, in fact, it wasn't even there. I, I, it's in the on the outline, but I cut it off before it, I uh, made it in my notes. Um, because I, I want to drive this point home about the intensity of God's love. It's hard to grasp. And I'm going to use a little story to try and put flesh on the intensity of God's love. The story goes like this. There was once a girl who lived in a big city. She decided to go to college in a town, in a small town, where the school was the only thing there in the in the town. Um, kind of like Gainesville. Um, she was quite unattached and acted as though she would be single forever. The moment she stepped onto the college campus, she heard about a man who was supposed to be the greatest guy in the world. And she ignored the talk. Uh, certainly, she figured that no man was as great as the, the ladies were making this guy out to be. Weeks went by and she still heard of this guy that was so fantastic. Everywhere she went, she heard about the fellow. Uh, she was in the laundromat doing clothes. She heard about the fellow. She was in the grocery store. She heard about this fellow. And uh, especially when she was around any group of girls um, on campus, she would hear uh, all of these wonderful things about him. Uh, months went by, 
And as the months went went by and she kept hearing about this guy, she would tell the other girls, well, your problem is that you seldom see any good-looking guys in this hick town. Uh, And so you go bananas when you see one. But the talk went on and on. After about six months, she was studying for exams when the phone rang. She picked up the phone and guess who was on the other end? No, you're wrong. It wasn't the guy. It was the father of this fellow about whom she had heard so much about. And the father told her, of course, that he was the father of this young man and that he had chosen, the father had chosen her to be the wife of his son. Or you can just imagine this girl's reaction. She said she would never marry anyone that she had never met. And then sarcastically she said that she should at least have one date with him first. And the father said, I understand. He'll be over to pick you up at 7.30. And he hung up the phone. At 7.30, this guy whom she'd never met uh, but had heard so much about showed up at the door. His appearance was everything and more than what she had heard. And on the date, she found out that uh, he was ten times greater than anyone had ever told her. They continued to date and their relationship progressed until one day he popped the big question and asked her to marry him. And she did not simply say yes. She said, yes, yes, yes. She was happier than she had ever been in her life. Now let me pause right here, lest anybody be confused, and I can understand how there would be this confusion. I wanted to make sure that everybody realizes that I'm not talking about uh, how I met and married Mandy. (laughs) Um, So... Uh, I'm I'm not the guy in this story. Just so. Um, oh, where was I? Oh yeah. Oh yes. This girl was happier than she had ever been in her life. But all of a sudden, she remembered that she had been very unwise with her money. We know how college students get these uh, these uh, mailers um, for credit cards. Uh, thankfully. All of Rachel and Molly's mailers come to our house rather than to them at school. Uh, And we immediately tear them up in as many pieces as we can and toss them in the garbage. Um, But she had applied for every line of credit that she could find. And not only that, she had bought herself a new Jaguar. $35,000. I guess it would probably need more than that, actually. Um, But I read the story from a book probably 30, that was written about 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, She also bought uh, $15,000 worth of furniture for her apartment. She had purchased $5,000 worth of jewelry from Tiffany's. In other words, she was really in debt. How could she drag this debt into her marriage? She couldn't. She could not even bear the thought of telling her fiance about this enormous debt that she had. So she came up with a plan. She decided to uh, visit all the places where she had um, had creditors, or, or rather, had had debt, and decided that she would. Uh, work out a way to either pay for the debt or return the things that she had purchased. 
And so the first place she went to was the Jaguar uh, business office and told them that she was marrying this fantastic guy and that she just couldn't bear to bring all her debt with her into the marriage. And so she asked, how can I work out um, the debt on my car? I'm willing to give it back. Um, but the office manager told her, he's, and he was a little confused. Well, haven't you heard? There was this guy in here earlier this afternoon. And he paid off the, 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 uh, the full debt that you owe on this car. You own it outright. She couldn't believe it. She thought it must be a mistake. And so she said, what does this guy look like? And the business manager, of course, described her fiancé uh, to a T. And she was overwhelmed with love. But then she still had these other debts. So then she drove to the furniture store and then to, to the Tiffany's uh, jewelry store. And, but she was told the same thing in both, both places. She was told that some guy had come in and paid her debts in full already. And they said, you are free from any more payments. On the way back to her apartment, she wept because she felt so unworthy and yet so special. Uh, because she was going to, she was the bride to be of such a wonderful man, and so she ran into the house to call him. And when he answered the phone, she said, "Thank you, thank you, thank you." She said, "Everywhere I went today, you had been before me. You knew about my debts. You knew about my every need. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Christian. God has chosen you for Himself." He has chosen you to be His own treasured possession. He has chosen you to be His own dear beloved child. From eternity past, He elected you to be His. Adam's sin stood against you. Your own hatred and rebellion and unwillingness to come to God caused you to reject God. Your sin separated you from a holy God. Your love of self and love of the world tempts you even this day to, um, to stray from God. But God has done everything necessary to make you His own. He has paid your debts in full with the price of His, of the, of His own dear Son's blood. And He keeps you through any trials that He sends you through. In other words, God loves you intensely. Let's pray together. Our Father, who loves us and sent Your Son for us, not to condemn us, but that we might be saved through Him. I pray that You would help us to drop anything and everything that stands in the way of us delighting in You. Thank You for Your great, Your patient, and Your intense love for us. Help us to return to You. Uh, great and intense love for You. We ask in Jesus' name.
Amen.